Well, I invite you to take your copy of the Word of God this morning and uh, turn to the book of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter five. Um, two Sundays in a row, we've left First John. Uh, we've had to do so um, as the Spirit of God directs, as I sense the Spirit of God directing. We haven't forsaken First John. We will complete our study through the book of First John, but we will do that. Um, as the Lord gives freedom to me in His great and divine providence. Amen? Now, this morning, I want to read to you uh, verses 1 through 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Um, in the verses immediately preceding this section, uh, Paul has written about th- that great... Uh, mystery, and I will call it a mystery, uh, that we call the rapture of the church. I'm not going to get into the issues of timing of the rapture this morning. I might make some of you mad, but I want to say what the Word says, not what preachers say or men have said or other people have said. I want to say what the text says. But we go on into chapter 5, and in verse number 1, this is what Paul says. He says, now, concerning the times... And the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, just in case you don't know it, the day of the Lord, that phrase you find all the way through the Old Testament, going through the New Testament, that day is the great day. It's the day of all judgment. It is the day of the return of Christ. Okay? He says, The day of the Lord shall come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security or safety. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, you who? You, you elect, you children of God, you who have been born again. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers. For that, that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, 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 children of the day, us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with Him, therefore... Because of all these things that I've just told you, because of everything I've told you about the day of the Lord and those who will fall to sleep, and that day that's coming upon us like a thief with suddenness, sudden nature. He says, because of this, therefore, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 
This is the word of the Lord. If I had a means of broadcasting today that we would be talking about the day of the Lord and explaining that the day of the Lord is coming and explaining that the day of the Lord is the return of Christ, we probably would have seen a few more people here today. People lost and saved alike are curious about the return. They're curious about the end times. They're curious about things that are written to take place. There's an interest there. There is an interest that is there in some people that is not there for the glory of God, but there for their own self-interest and fascination with things that they can't really understand. And you know, I, I, I can say that because I have experienced that in my own life. I've probably mentioned to you before that when I was lost, I mean lost, dead in my sins and trespasses, had no true love for Jesus Christ, when I was lost, there was one particular book in the Bible that I was always fascinated by. I, as a lost 13, 14, 15-year-old, I would read the book of Revelation. The book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. I would read it. I remember when I was lost in the sixth grade, I gathered people from my neighborhood. I don't know. Maybe I thought I was some kind of prophet or something. God have mercy. I was lost. I would gather people around and I would read from the book of the Revelation. Dead in my sins and in my trespasses. Lost in my sins and in my trespasses. Had no clue about the things that I would confidently assert or say or read. Not unlike some today. So I was, I was really caught up with that. Um, and in the midst of all of that, there was a little book that came out. I know I've told you about this little book uh, before. It was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Was Going to Be in 1988. Did any of you ever see that? Uh, well, 88 came, the rapture didn't come. And Edgar C. Wiskin the NASA engineer that wrote that, came back along, said he miscalculated something, and then he wrote why it was really going to be in 89, and somewhere in September around the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah, that's when it was going to occur. Well, it came and went, and it didn't occur. It was just false teaching, trying to set a time and a date concerning the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's a dangerous thing. But it scared me. <laughs> And I will say this, God uses, God is so great and so grand that He can take that which is false and He can use it to set you up for what He's going to do in your life later on down the road. Because though I wrestled with the fear at that time, and you can't, you know, because even though it was false teaching, I believe that God used what Satan meant to harm in my life for good because it was a year later I was born again under the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after the Lord came into my life and the Lord saved me in 1989, I began to read the Scriptures and saw them in a whole new light. Um, I, I really began to see how futile a book like 
uh, 88 reasons why the rapture would be in 88 was absolutely futile. It was stupid. It's a waste of money to buy that kind of stuff. All right? I saw the error of that because it, it, it's quite clear that, that you don't set dates and times. You don't do that. Paul, when he's writing to the Thessalonican church here in, in chapter 5, when he gets <coughs> to verse 1, he says, he tells the church, he didn't have any need to write to them about dates and times or dates and seasons, depending on your translation. Don't have time to do that. Now, some people would say, well, they didn't have time to do that because they had everything they needed about dates and times. No, the Bible never tells you to write about dates and times. The Bible never tells you to focus on dates and times. The Bible tells you to focus on Jesus Christ. The book of the Revelation is not a revelation of end-time dispensational dates and times and seasons. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you get obsessed with end-time thoughts and theologies and all kinds of stuff that is out there for any other reason other than being obsessed with the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then all of the toil that you put in studying all of that stuff is in vain because you miss the mark. It is about Christ and Christ alone. Christ alone. Now, you, you, even though you ought not be concerned with dates and times, I will say you should be discerning of the ages in which you're in. You should be, I think, some dis- discerning about things that infol- unfold in your world as it might set in an eschatological background that is an in-time background. I would think that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. As you are looking to His appearing, okay, looking for Him, there's nothing to, to, wrong with that. But you don't need to get somebody's chart. I'd bur- if I could burn every dispensation chart in America, I would because people get obsessed with it. It bothers me. People look at them. Stuff rather than the Savior. Okay? Now, you don't need to be obsessed with dates and times. This is what you need to be. This is what the Bible says. You need to be ready for that time. You need to be ready for that time. Okay? The Bible Himself. Jesus. Jesus, I think, is the ultimate end time theology. Expert. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 36. He says, but that day, what day? The day of the Lord. That day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And if you progress from those verses down to verses 42 and 44 of Matthew 24, uh, Jesus goes on and says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So the biblical message, the biblical point, the, bib- the thing the Spirit of God is saying to His church is be ready. What he's saying is be ready. What he's saying to the world is be ready. For I come at a time that you do not expect. He's saying be ready. Well, this morning, I want us to hear some things concerning that day, the day of the Lord. And I don't want you to hear anything other than what the text is saying. I want you to hear the voice of the Spirit 
in the authority of God's Word. I want you to hear what the Scripture says. I don't want you to hear, listen to me, this is not, I, I'm not wanting you to, to look at this passage. So here's the problem today. you got people, they, want, they read something out there in the religious world and they want to look to the Scriptures and they try to read what they've read into the, the text rather than letting the text inform the error or the rightness or the wrongness of what they've read. I mean, I don't want you to come to this passage and, and take the fictional work of Lahay and Jenkins left behind series trying to see, well, can, does that fit in that? No, 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 don't do that. I don't want you to come to this trying to, to um, you know, apply the logic of uh, Jack Van Imp or Perry Stone or, or some other or, or, or some other person out there that's associated in the church world with, with end time theology. I don't want you to, to come up here and, 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 and even take the word. I don't want you to hear the voice of Pastor Scott today. That's not what I want you to hear. I want you to hear what the text says. Not what you want to make it say. Not what you read into it. But what the text says as the text sets in its context. And you bow your thoughts. And you bow your spirit before the authority of God's Word. I don't care what you feel inside. I don't care what you think inside. I want us to have our minds renewed by the truth of the Word. Which means we have to bow to the authority of the text. The book. The canon of Scripture. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, as we look here to chapter 5, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, there are five things that I want to bring out to you. I want you to observe and see in the text and the, about this day that's coming. And the first thing I want you to see comes from verses 2 and 3. And I want you to see that the day of the Lord, oh, it's going to surprise me. The day of the Lord is going to surprise many. Um, you see, there is in the eternal hidden counsels of God, there is in the mind of the Father a predestined point in future history when this day will take place. It is written. It is. It was set in the counsel of God before you and I were ever a to each other before we were ever in our mother's womb. This was already planned out. And everything in history prior to that point is working in God's redemptive plan for His glory and the good of His people and it's marching toward that ultimate zenith in our time span when Jesus Christ will be most glorified and highly exalted and the world will be not as it has ever been before and Jesus Christ will return and rescue His church, His people. 
Now, it's going to come as a surprise, though, to many. You see, it's going to be unexpected by the world. It's going to be unexpected by the world. See, in the world, things will be going on as usual. Everything's going to be happening just like it's been happening. You know, people are going to still be making homemade ice cream. Grandma's going to still be making fried apple pies. People are going to be going about their business. They'll be going about their work. Everything's going to be going along just as things have always gone. And then, boom, suddenly, everything is going to change. Everything. Now, I say that this because the Bible teaches this. Now, obviously, our text tells us that, every, that there are going to be many surprises, but to show you the, the surprising nature of it and how life is just going to be going on like it's normally going on, Jesus told us, for example, in Luke 17, uh, beginning in verse 26, He said, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the, in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day. That's the day of the Lord. The day. When the Son of Man is revealed. And if you progress on down to verse 34, he goes on and says, I tell you that, that at night there will be one in bed and another will be taken uh, and another will be left. There will be two women grinding it in the, uh, be grinded together. One will be taken and the other will be left. Some of your translation also tells you that there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. And Jesus goes on and, and, and he says, And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Oh, where the corpse, corpse is, there the vultures also gather. But the point is, they, people are going to be going about their life as, as usual. I really like that section at the end of Luke 17 because at that point when Christ returns, the examples that he gives are things people do during the daytime and then there's Things people do at night, sleep. I find that interesting because it's a reminder that the Bible is always accurate with true science. The world is round. It's, it's going to be nighttime in one part of the world and daylight in the other part of the world when Christ returns. So those examples are absolutely uh, correct. But on that day, whenever that day is, the lion of the tribe of the Judah will blow the shofar of heaven. Or the, the archangel, excuse me, will blow the shofar of heaven. The tr loud trumpet will, will go off and he will descend. And I'm telling you, he'll rescue his people. But this text flowing out of the context of chapter 4 into chapter 5, he says, but they, who is they? Those who aren't ready. Those who didn't know him. Those that are lost. He says, they will not escape. Will not. Now that in the Greek is a double negative. You know what that means? That's not what a double negative is in English because I say them all the time and you don't want to do that. Okay? 
A double negative in the Greek is there for emphasis about how they will not ever in any way escape the destruction that is coming upon them. Will not. They will not escape, as the text says. And in that moment, there is no more mercy. Mercy is passé. In that moment, there is only judgment and justice. There's no more millionth chances. Not in that moment. If you go on to 2 Thessalonians in the first chapter, he talks about how the Lord Jesus will come in the flaming fire of vengeance. And he talks about those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord, they will endure eternal destruction in the punishment of fire. It is going to be an unbelievable time that is going to surprise many. But now that day that will surprise the many, it shouldn't surprise the few. You know, Jesus uses a comparison often in His teachings of the many that follow the way of destruction and the few that find the way of life. The few, by the few, what I mean, the Christian, the true Christian, that day shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't take us by surprise. We may not know the day nor the hour when Christ is returning, but by virtue of being ready, it doesn't surprise us. Because we're ready. Does that make sense? It should not surprise us. should not surprise us. Again, listen to Paul in verses 4 down through verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, beginning in verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, it shouldn't surprise you like a thief. You're not in darkness anymore. Okay? He goes on and he says, for you're all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So listen, let us not sleep as others do. Now sleep here is not a reference to death. Okay? Yes, it is up at the end of chapter 4 when he talks about those who have fallen asleep in the Lord. That's talking about those who have died in the Lord prior to the Lord's coming. But anyway, he says, let's not be like those who are asleep who are asleep, he said, they sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. For since we belong to the day, let us be sober. In other words, let us be aware. Let us be in control. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Let us be ready. It shouldn't surprise us. It ought not to surprise us on at least two areas that I'll remind you of, it should not surprise us intellectually. We're told to be awake. We're told to be awake. We're to be aware. Twice He tells us to be awake. Um, you know, he, he tells us that we are to be alert. So we ought to be looking and we ought to be aware. We're looking for Christ. We're not looking for... We're not just looking for signs. We're looking for the Savior. And we're looking for His coming. 
So it shouldn't surprise us if we're always looking for it. (laughs) It ought not to surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us morally either. Okay? We don't want it to surprise us morally. You see, he tells us to be sober or self-controlled. And and we want to be... You see, we want to be fighting for holiness in our lives because if we're not fighting for holiness in our lives... Our vision gets blurred. And it might take us by surprise. Now, I'm not saying we're not ready, but it might take us by surprise. I still remember Adrian Rogers talking about how he was preaching in a revival somewhere in some particular area. And he was, he, he, he heard, he was, he, he, he was awakened late one night by a train that was coming by the hotel he was in. And when it did, he woke up and he thought the trumpet had blown. And it scared him because here Adrian Rogers, great preacher, he thought, oh, I wasn't ready in that moment. Not talking about spiritually ready. I I think he felt like he did not have everything in order the way that he should have. It scared him. It scared him. It scared him. We we want to be ready. And and there there is a connection in Scripture between always looking for the coming of our Lord and striving to be more holy in conduct. Let me show you. If you look over in in 2 Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, the first 10 verses, he's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come. I'll reference some of that here again in a minute. But when you get down to verse number 11... Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What things? These things concerning the day of the Lord. Okay? Since since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? And the heavenly bodies will melt and burn. But according to His promise, we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But you see, there's a connection. If You can also look and, and see um, over in Luke's Gospel, Jesus talking and over in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter number 21. Jesus talking about watch, watch for that day. Um, he, he says, in, beginning in verse 34 of Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, that the day, that day, what day? Day of the Lord, that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. I think that's clear. I think that's important. In... Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he goes on and he connects 
this day not surprising you by wearing elements of the armor and elements of the armor here in in Thessalonians reminds me of uh, Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 18 where he does talk about the full armor of God. He's not talking about the full armor of here but but in order to take our stand and doing everything we have to stand, we stand firm then wearing the full armor of God because we wage war not against flesh and blood but against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Um, And so... There is this connection between um, practically standing and standing strong here in this section. It talks about being ready by not being surprised. So what have we seen? We see the day of the Lord is going to surprise many. We see the day of the Lord ought not surprise the true Christian. That is the person saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Third thing I would draw out to you about the day of the Lord is the day of the Lord is going to bring sudden destruction. Sudden destruction. Verse 3 of chapter 5 makes quite clear the mention of that when we see there while people are saying there's peace and security then sudden destruction will come on. Destruction is coming. Now, destruction is something we kind of identify with. We see natural disasters and destruction. We see uh, destruction like I referenced with the tsunami that hit in Indonesia as, as we went into the book of Job last week. We understand some of the atrocities of, of this destruction and disaster like that. We have... Uh, an understanding in the world we live in of the destruction of something like a thermal nuclear device. (laughs) But on the day, on the day described in the book, that day will encompass destruction like none we have ever known. And even the greatest destruction we think of today are but sandcastles in the sand compared with what will come at the hand of God. Holy God! What will come? It will be unlike anything we have ever seen or known. The best thing I can do for you to help you get a feel for the destruction that is coming is paint for you a word picture. By that I mean a picture of what the Word says about that day. And please understand, these are only pictures. Pictures do not encapsulate the gravity of the destruction that is pictured within them. I mean, I know you've seen pictures of tornadoes. You've seen pictures of... Some of you have seen even videos of uh, tsunami coming in and causing destruction in places. Some of you have seen pictures like that, but you realize the picture is a whole lot more pleasant than being in the midst of the destruction that it encapsulates. The picture that we have in our Word is one of, of His Word is one like this. Going back to 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And God's not changing His mind, folks. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. The text says this, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. And their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass on that day that a great panic from the Lord will come and be among every and everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand that day it's coming the word says in Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 14 through 18 it says the great day of the Lord is near it is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out, The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities, against the high towers. I will bring distress upon man, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuge neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver for that he will make speedy riddance of all who dwell in the land for in that day it is a day of the Lord's wrath word picture number four Isaiah 13, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. The Spirit of God says, Well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will, will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. And they will be afraid. Pains and sorrows will take hold of them. There will be pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel and both wrath, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay let the land desolate. All he shall destroy, and all the sinners he shall destroy from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I shall halt the arrogance of the proud. I will lay low the haughtiness of the terror. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of an ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabbath, in that day, the day of His fierce anger. There is destruction coming. Upon all who bear the weight of their sin. 
Hear me. But not so for the church. Not so for the church. Not so for God's people. For you see, on that day, number four, what I would tell you is that the Lord will not destroy the true Christian. Verse 9, it says, For we were not appointed unto wrath. Remember, Christ is our propitiation. Remember, 1 John. Remember, He is the one who has bore the wrath of the world of believers. He is the one that has bore the wrath of those who by grace alone, through faith alone, come to Christ alone. He has bore their punishment. That Listen, Christ was our punishment. But for those who do not receive Him, for those who do not call upon His name, for those who do not repent and trust Him, He has not been the propitiation for their sin. He only bore the wrath of the Christian. And on that day, they will face His wrath. But the Christian, the one who has called on the name of the Lord and is so saved, born again by the sovereign grace of God, they will not see that wrath. You see, God's wrath, the same hand, listen, the same hand that pulverizes the lost world, at the same time, the same hand preserves and protects the child of God. You remember what it was like for the covenant children of God when the Lord sent the plagues to strike down the firstborn? Of Egypt, what did he do? Those who had the blood over their, their house posts, what, what did he do? Protected them. Did he not? He protects his child. He protects his child. He protected you a long ago. God protected you from himself. For the wrath of God is being revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, the Bible tells us. And he began to protect you from it the moment that it was poured out on Christ. He protected you from His wrath. And He will continue to protect you as His wrath unfolds on this lost world. Wow. You see, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. A precious deposit guaranteeing the inheritance to come. God does not take His children out of all suffering, but when His children walk in the midst of suffering, He protects them. You hear me? Wow. For you are not appointed unto wrath. <laughs> you are not appointed unto wrath. You are not appointed unto wrath. What you were appointed unto was life and righteousness. And that only through Jesus Christ, who is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And He has died for your sin. Wow. That is amazing grace. I will conclude by saying, fifthly, 
The day of the Lord demands that we encourage one another. It demands that we encourage one another. Verses 10 and 11, I'll read them to you again. The text says that we, going back up to verse 8, it says, For God has not destined us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That's what He did for us, us believers, us of the day. Us, us only, not them, but us, who have trusted in Him. He, he, we're not appointed unto wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, uh, whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with Him. Therefore, because of this, because of everything that He has been telling us, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Do that. You see, this is one of the purposes behind our gathering together as the church. Do you realize that? So that we can encourage, encourage one another. I like the way Piper says this. You know, we talk a lot about eternal security. And I, I, I believe that we are eternally secure by the power of God. But we misuse it and we, 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 people take it as a license to be whatever. They think because they prayed some little prefabricated prayer, they have their eternal ticket to heaven when they're probably lost and doomed. Because their desire is not after Christ. Their desire is simply after escape from the hell they deserve. They want their cake and eat it too, sort of. But Piper said eternal security is a community project. And part of what that means is that we come together and on a practical level, we are the ones that encourage one another to persevere in the faith. To persevere in going after the Lord. God in His sovereign counsel has somehow designed the body of Christ that we practically encourage one another to continue on and not give up. Is that not what the writer of the book of Hebrews says in the chapter 10 of Hebrews? Let me read it to you just in case you've forgotten what he says there. Um, he says to us in verse 20, 20... Well, let me see which one I want to read. Let us in verse 22, yes, of chapter 10. He says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day. What day? The day of the Lord. As you see that day drawing near. That's why... The church gathering is absolutely important to your spiritual health. God did not design you to be an island off to yourself. You need each other. Now the Bible here does not telling us that we need to meet three times on the Lord's day, but He's saying do not forsake your assembly of yourselves together. That's one of the reasons why when we first had the, the shutdown orders, 
I was a little concerned for God's people. I'm thankful that I was still able to proclaim the Word and to get the Word out there. And we were able to connect as best we could virtually through Facebook and YouTube and our podcast. But you see, we need each other. We encourage one another. And by encouragement, encouragement is not always mean, oh, we're... We're building each other up. When we say we're building each other up, that's not always meaning we're making each other feel good about ourselves. You understand that? That's, that's a 20th century concept. You see, sometimes encouraging somebody might mean you're encouraging a brother to repent. And that can be painful. But the end result of that is quite pleasurable for that brother when he repents. Guys, let us keep on encouraging one another. Encourage one another. Speak spiritual songs and hymns as Paul writes to the Colossians. Speak words of encouragement to people based on the promises of God. Not your thought, not your assessment. For the day is approaching. The day is approaching. Do not get obsessed with all the wild teachings that have come out in the 20th century, you do realize that a lot of the end time stuff you see is the product of the last century. Not this book. Get in the book. Get obsessed with Jesus. Jesus is coming soon. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Grace be to each one of you.